Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I'm the pastor of Elevation Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you. Hope it builds your faith. Hope it gives you perspective to see God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Are you glad to be in the house of God today? I want to do something real quick. My name is Robert Madu. Uh, I bring you greetings from the great country of Texas. And uh, I, I didn't lift up my hand when they said first time guest. I am not a guest here. I'm a part of the Elevation family and uh, love this church. I love this church. I love this church because it is a true reflection of your pastors who are dear friends of my wife and I. And before I say anything else, I want us to give honor to where honor is due. Help me thank God for Pastor Stephen Furtick, for Pastor Holly. Come on, y'all could do better than that. Would you let them know how much you love them? Come on, would you let them know how much you appreciate them? Pastor Stephen is my brother. He is my brother from another mother. and. I'm just thankful for him. There's so many things I could say about him, his brilliant mind to declare the word of the Lord, the incredible songs that he's written, but I'm just thankful that he is a brother. When I tell you there have been Sundays before I get up to preach, I'll get a text from Pastor Stephen saying, you're anointed, you're a man of God, you can do it, preach the gospel. That's, that's just the heart of your pastor. We have a church called Social Dallas, and uh, the first church to sow into us uh, when we got ready to plant just a year ago was your church, your pastors. And uh, my wife and I are just incredibly grateful for this house. And uh, I want you to stay standing because, oh, my right toe is tingling. I feel like preaching. I'm going to go straight to the Word of God. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited about what God has given me to share with you today, and I don't want to waste another second or another moment. But can we thank God for the incredible worship team that just led us so beautifully into the presence of God? Also, because I'm with family, I may as well show you my fam. You know, I got to give you the family update. This is my bride and my three little humans right there. That's the Madu crew. We did good. We did good. So y'all pray for us. That is an eight-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a five-year-old. Amen. Yes, pray for your boy. Pray for your boy. But that's my family. Uh, but, but I have a word, and I want you to stay standing because I want to jump straight into it. Did you come to get a word from God? Oh, if y'all feel like hearing it, like I feel like preaching it, something's going to happen in here today. Go with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. And for the benefit of brevity, I want to look at verses 16 through 18. Acts chapter 16. Start at verse 16, and we'll land at verse number 18. When you're ready to read it, say Yeah. If you're not ready, you need some time, say, hold up. I heard that, hold up. Come on, hurry up. <laughs> They're going to put it on the screen. You're good, you're good. Shout out to all the campuses and the EFAM, everybody. Acts chapter 16, starting at verse number 16. And it says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, that we is Paul and Silas. We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money from her owners by fortune-telling, and she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, 
who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. I was pausing for you to say it. Annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Can you say amen? Spoiler alert, that girl's liberation led to their incarceration. Once they found out at midnight that even in chains, you can still have church. And they started singing, worthy you are, worthy you are. And the chains broke. You know the story. You've been in church. The doors flew open. But, but, but none of that is what drew me to the text. It's verse 18 where it says, Paul finally became so annoyed. I want to preach for about six and a half hours today. <laughs> but, but I want to do something. I want to do something. I'm at home, so I can, I can do this. I, I want to do something that I've never done in a sermon before. I'm going to give you part of my title right now, and then the other half of it I'm going to give you at the end of the message. Is that cool? Okay, so if you leave early or EFAM, you log off, you're going to be lost, okay? So I'm only giving you half of the title right now, but, but here's the half I want you to get. I want to talk to you from this thought. I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed. I'll give you the second half later, but for right now, look at your neighbor, whichever one you like the best, and say, neighbor. Oh, come on. Don't be afraid to talk to your neighbor in church. You know I can see you. Come on. Say, neighbor. Can I be honest? I'm annoyed. Look at your other neighbor. Say, other neighbor. You're my second option. And I got to tell you this title. Say, I'm annoyed. If you believe God's going to speak, would you give us some praise right now? Father, have your way today. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I'm annoyed. I forgot to mention that I am not here by myself. My father is here with me, Robert Madu Sr. Dad, would you just stand up real quick? I love it because he hates it. He is annoyed right now because I made him stand up. But traveling with him actually gave me a flashback. He gave me a flashback to a ministry moment that is indelibly etched in my mind. I'll never forget this moment. It's years, years ago. I was just starting off in the ministry, just starting off preaching years, years ago, just a young buck preaching the gospel. I was preaching and working at Banana Republic. Yes, yes, yes. Working at Banana during the week and preaching on the weekends. Yes, I had a ministry of folding khakis during the week and preaching the gospel on the weekend. And I'll never forget, I got invited to this church to preach their Sunday morning services. I'll never forget it. I was elated. I was excited because I had primarily preached just to the youth group and to the youth camps of this church. So when they called me to preach Sunday morning, I said, oh, holla at you, boy. I have made it to the big leagues. I'm moving on up. 
And uh, I got the itinerary, got the itinerary before I got ready to go preach there. And I noticed something on the itinerary that immediately arrested my attention. It was my accommodations where I was staying while I would be preaching there. And it said that I would be staying at a motel. Mo, motel, not a hotel, but a motel. I wasn't too alarmed at first. I said, hold on, don't judge a book by its cover. Wait till you see the motel first, Robert. And the pastor picked me up. I'll never forget it. And we pulled up to the motel, and oh, it, it, it was a mo. It was a motel. Everything about the exterior of this motel let me know what the interior was going to look like. I will never forget it. The pastor handed me the key to my room, said, I'll pick you up tomorrow. Handed me the key to my room. The key to my room. Not a card a physical key <laughs> to my room at the motel. But I said, you know what, Lord? I said, if you can use anything, you can use me, so I'm cool. And uh, I opened the door. I opened the door to the motel. And as soon as I opened the door, my goodness, the room looked like a scene from CSI. The pungent odor that was permeating from the carpet hit me in the face and singed my nose hair. There were stains on the bed and stains on the carpet and stains on the drapes. I said, this is ridiculous. What happened in this room? I looked to the right. The roaches were looking at me like, you going to stay here for real? Are you going to sleep here? Never forget it. I never forget it. And uh, I said, boy, it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough, rough, rough trip. And so uh, I, I, was, I was thinking to myself, I, said, I can't stay here. I can't stay here. And I noticed that down the street from the motel was a hotel. Was a hotel. You know, not, not, not the, nothing fancy, but a few stars above this one. I said, you know what? I, I can go to that hotel. I can go to that hotel and I can just stay. I'm like, I'll pay for it. I realized, you know, I, I didn't ask anybody to pay for it. I'll go. And the problem was the pastor dropped me off. And he was picking me up in the morning. So I was in a conundrum. I said, wait a minute, if I go to the hotel and leave the motel, what am I going to do in the morning when he comes and picks me up? I'm either going to have to go to the hotel, then come all the way back to the motel for him to pick me up in the morning. So I was like, oh, I was like, is that going to look bad? I don't want to be rude. This is my first big Sunday. I don't want to mess this up. I was like, is that going to be rude if I switch hotels? So I call my father who was here with me. And uh, I should say my Nigerian father. And I call him up. I will never forget this. I call him and said, Dad, oh, I don't know if you can smell this through the phone. <laughs> I said, uh, but they got me out here at the motel. And uh, I, I want to switch. I want to switch to the hotel. Dad, I'm going to pay for it. I want to switch to the hotel. But I, I don't know if it's going to look bad or look rude if I switch. Do you think it would be bad, Dad, if I switched from the motel to the hotel? I will never forget what this Nigerian man said to me. First words out of his mouth were, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Would it look bad? Would it look bad if you switch? Of course it would look bad if you switch to a different hotel. Son, you are only there for one night. You are there for one night. You are not there on vacation. You are there to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are there for one night. He said, if the Apostle Paul can be shipwrecked and beaten and whipped for the gospel, surely you can stay at a motel for one night. I said, all right, all right, all right, all right. I hung up the phone. I will never, ever forget that moment. I was so annoyed. 
I was annoyed then, but in retrospect, I realized the wisdom of my father. You see, I, I thought that he wasn't feeling me. I thought he wasn't being empathetic to my plight in my situation, but upon further reflection, I realized it's not that he wasn't being empathetic to my situation. It's not even that he was advocating for me to stay in nasty motels. But what he was doing in that moment was trying to get me to look at my circumstance through the lens of my purpose. He was trying to get me to look at my circumstance through the lens of my purpose. That's why he kept saying one night. You are just there for one night. He was trying to get me to see that my stay at that motel was temporal, but the gospel that I was preaching is eternal. And if I can focus on the purpose, it ought to give me clarity for the circumstance. I don't know who this message is for today, but I felt like God wanted me to remind you that if you could learn to look at your circumstance through the lens of your purpose, if you could look at the frustrations and the agitations in your life through the lens of your divine assignment, that would change everything for you. As a matter of fact, there is nothing more powerful than somebody that has learned to look at what they're going through through the lens of what they are called to. Oh, if you want to see somebody that's unstoppable, look at somebody that knows who they are and they know the mission and the call that is on their life. Nothing can stop that person. Every obstacle will turn into an opportunity because they know there's a greater story. There's a greater call than what I see right now. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul could write a master's class on what it's like to look at your circumstance through the lens of your divine purpose. Ooh, I'm telling you, the Apostle Paul could do a 10-hour TED Talk on tenacity. Who else but the Apostle Paul? Who else but the one who said, I glory in my sufferings? The one that said, oh, that I may know him in the fellowship, not of his success, but in the fellowship of Christ's suffering and his resurrection. Who else but the Apostle Paul, that tenacious tent maker from Tarshish, that gospel globetrotter who was full of power and authority you know, Paul was unstoppable. He was off the chain. Every city he went into, he would turn the city upside down because he knew there was a greater call. There was a greater mission on his life. They could not stop the apostle Paul. Everywhere he went, he was effective in ministry. They said, Paul, we're going to kill you. He said, that's cool to die is gay. They said, okay then, Paul, we're going to let you live. He said, that's cool too, to live as Christ. They said, all right then, Paul, we're going to make you suffer. He said, that's cool too, because I already know that the present sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory of God that's going to be revealed down on the inside of me. Paul! He was absolutely off the chain. And no wonder my dad said, if the apostle Paul <laughs> could be shipwrecked and beaten, surely you can stay there for one night. We get to my text in Acts chapter 16 and Paul is on his second missionary journey. But let us not forget how he stepped into his purpose. Acts chapter 9 lets us know the conversion and the commissioning of the apostle Paul, the artist formerly known as Saul. I love Paul because Paul was actually not waiting to be converted to move at the speed of his purpose. He was already headed somewhere. You know that church planner used to be a Christian killer. He was on his way 
going to kill more Christians when all of a sudden God just interrupted him on his journey. A bright light came from heaven and interrupted him. He wasn't seeking after God. God wasn't on his radar, Ooh, but he was on God's radar. I want to pause right there. I thank God that sometimes when you're not thinking about him, He's thinking about you. I thank God that sometimes when you're not even having an appointment with him on your schedule, God will have an appointment with you on his schedule. Somebody watching this right now, you don't even know God is interrupting your regularly scheduled program because he has a call on your life. He has a purpose for your life. And you might be headed in the wrong direction, but buckle up your seatbelt because when God wants to get your attention, he will get your attention. Uh, somebody came to church today because God... Is trying to get your attention. Got Paul's, got Paul's attention in Acts chapter 9. But in Acts chapter 16, let us not forget that this is Paul's second missionary journey. It's the second missionary journey, and he's got his homeboy Silas with him. He's got Silas. He's even got this young cat by the name of Timothy with him. And you can't even really appreciate the connection between Paul and Silas until you first understand the separation that occurred between Paul and Barnabas. This is his second missionary journey, and Silas, believe it or not, was Paul's second choice. Oh yeah, he didn't pick Silas first. He actually had a missionary journey, Acts 13 to 15, and he was with Barnabas, Barnabas, Barney. I love it because the Holy Spirit separated Paul and Barney, put them together to accomplish a call. Proof positive that whenever God has a call on your life, he will make sure that you are connected with somebody to do it. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom of God. All y'all up in here talking about, I don't need nobody. I don't need the church. It's me, myself, and I. No, 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 no. If your dream and your vision only affects you, it is not from the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God will always cause a divine collaboration with somebody. You need somebody else. Hardwired for connection and community. So wouldn't it be just like the Holy Spirit to connect Paul and Barney to go plant churches and preach the gospel? Can you see Paul and Barney going out? They're planting churches. They're preaching the gospel. It was an effective trip. It was so effective. Paul said, let's run that back again. Let's do it again. And Barnabas was like, cool. I'm cool with that. Let's run it back again. And then Paul says, all right, let's go. And then Barney goes, well, let's bring John Mark, my nephew, with us. And Paul said, oh, no, 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 no. Hold up. We can bring a whole lot of people, but we are not bringing your little stanky nephew, John Mark. Don't forget, do your due diligence and read your Bible. You remember, John Mark was their assistant who abandoned them halfway in the journey, and Paul still felt some type of way about it. He said, no, no, no. We can bring a whole lot of people, but we are not bringing John Mark. I got beat and whipped. Stones hit my head on that last missionary journey, and John Mark left because he had a little tummy ache because he was seasick and went back to Jerusalem. There is no way he's coming back. See, I like Paul. I'm actually on Paul's side. Oh yeah, they, they got into a heated disagreement because Paul is a builder. He is ride or die. And Paul said, if I'm going to build with somebody, I need to build with somebody who's faithful. I need to build with somebody that will show up. Is anybody like me? I like people that are dependable. I like people that when they tell you they're going to be there at 7 o'clock, they'll be there at 635. I want some ride or die people in my life. I'm on Paul's side. Paul said, that boy is not coming with us because he abandoned us. But the problem with Paul is he's a builder. Ooh, but Barney's an encourager. 
You know how them encouragers are. He's like, come on, Paul. Give him another chance. Didn't God give you another chance? You're the one killing Christians. Don't act brand new. How come you can't give him another chance? And they keep going back and forth. It was a heated argument between the two. And all of a sudden, there was no resolve. They disagreed, and they went their separate ways. They had a disagreement that made them go their separate ways. Paul said, cool, I'm out. John Mark said, cool, and I'll take Barnabas with me. They, they went their separate ways and just agreed to disagree. Do you know what's wrong with our culture today? Is we have lost the art of civil discourse. We have lost the art of just agreeing to disagree. We live in a society that anybody that doesn't agree with you, anybody that doesn't think like you think, talk like you talk, walk like you walk, vote like you vote, you got an issue with, you want to demonize that person, but we don't know how to just agree to disagree. And you go your way, and I'll go my way. And here's the powerful thing. The gospel of Jesus Christ was still preached with Barnabas going his way and Paul going his way. Oh, God said, I know how to turn division into multiplication. I know you went your separate ways, but the gospel is still going to be preached in the way. Oh, y'all don't like that. I know you want to demonize the people you disagree with, but can I tell you, God reserves the right to use people that you disagree with. God reserves the right to use people that you don't like use them and not even check with you. <laughs> they were still effective. John, Mark, and Barnabas were still effective. And Paul said, I'm going to be effective too, because I'm proud to die. He said, I got to get me somebody else and picks up Silas with them. Can you see that interview? He's already feeling some type of way because John Mark quit on him. He's like, oh, Silas, are you proud to die? You sure you can roll with me? Silas is like, of course. He's like, all right, let me just check. <laughs> Punches them in the gut. <laughs> He's using my exegetical imagination. So I was like, ooh, what's that for? He's like, it's real out here in these church playing the streets. I'm just trying to make sure. You can take a lick and keep on ticking. By the way, can you sing? Can I sing? Yes. Can you sing? Yes. I don't know. Something might pop off at midnight. I want to know if you still got a praise in your belly. Sing something right now. Silas is like, right now? Right now. I'm going to see your victory. I'm going to see your victory. Yeah, you're off key, but you're good. Come on, let's go. Look at him. He's got Silas with him. He picks up Timothy along the way. Ooh, Paul is not playing. First thing he does with Timothy, another young youngster, just like John Mark's like, oh, you, you call? Timothy's like, yeah, you call? All right, let me cut you. Circumcises him on the first day. Just trying to make sure you're ready to roll. And uh, they start moving into Figria. They're effective. They start moving, guided by the Holy Spirit, into Galatia, they're effective. The ministry is thriving. Paul says, you know what? How about we go to the province of Asia? This is modern-day Turkey. And they get ready to go to the province of Asia. And the Bible says something that we have yet to read in the book of Acts. It says the Holy Spirit forbid them from going to the province of Asia. I said, okay, maybe not Asia. Let's go to Bithynia. So they start setting sail, getting ready to go to Bithynia. And the Bible says again that the Holy Spirit forbid them from going into Bithynia. I'm confused. It's not like they're going to sell drugs. <laughs> they're going to plant churches. 
they're going to go preach the gospel. You would think that if my motive is right and I'm going to do something that I know God has called me to do, that I would always have an open door. I can understand what God closes a door if I'm about to go do something bad. Like, I get that. If my car don't start before I go to Krispy Kreme, I get that. Because <laughs> it's not good for me. But what do you do when you're called to do something and you run into a closed door? That is annoying. It is annoying when you've set out to do something that is your divine call. It is your mission. It is your mandate. And you keep running into closed door after closed door. I don't know who this is for, but somebody knows what it's like to walk into a closed door. The Holy Spirit forbids them to go. See, this is where I got annoyed with Dr. Luke, because Dr. Luke is writing the book of Acts, and he's a doctor. Doctors are thorough. Luke, you could have told us how the Holy Spirit forbid them to go. That would have been some helpful information. Let me know how did the Holy Spirit forbid them from going. Did the Holy Spirit just show up in physical form and say, y'all don't go? Would the boat not start? Tell me how. Did Paul get a stomachache? How did the Holy Spirit stop them? But, but, but Luke doesn't give us those details of how. He just lets us know that the Holy Spirit, the one that empowers us, is the same one that guides us. And if the Holy Spirit is going to guide you, the Holy Spirit will sometimes let you hit a closed door. The Holy Spirit will sometimes let you walk straight into a no. I want to pause right now and thank God for the Holy Spirit. I want to thank God for the Holy Spirit that doesn't just empower me and give me empowerment. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit that gives me discernment, that'll speak to me and say, no, don't go there. No, don't go there. I need the Holy Spirit to guide me. Is there anybody that can relate to the fact that life is above your pay grade and you need some divine direction? God, show me which way I'm supposed to go. God, close every door that needs to be closed and open every door that needs to be opened. Show me what job I'm supposed to take and show me where I'm supposed to land. Show me who I'm supposed to marry. And if I'm not, give me a no. When was the last time you praised God for a no? When was the last time that you thanked God because he gave you a shut door and a big old no? I know you want God to give you a yes, but I want to pause and thank God for all the times he's given me a no. No, don't do it. No, I want to thank God for his no. God will often guide you, not just with his yeses, but with his no's. Would you just say no? No. I'm going to say it with your chest. Say no. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had the Holy Spirit just hit you with a... Come on, you're on the date. You ain't even ordered the appetizers. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's like, ah, all right, I guess that's it. I would much rather have a no than to have nothing. I need his discernment. As a matter of fact, I don't know how God speaks to you, but I'll tell you how he speaks to me. Sometimes his no's are louder than his yeses. Sometimes I'll be getting ready to open the door and it's just, yo! Okay, all right. And then the yes will be like, yes. But God, are you sure I'm supposed to? Yes. Like, hold on, say it again. Yeah. Have you ever been there before where the yes was just quiet, but the no was so loud, and the yes was so, yes, just a little mini Mouse. Yes. And you had to go like on a five-day fast and start praying like, God, did I hear you or not? 
Oh, see, some of y'all don't like this because some of y'all want the direction before you go. But I'm telling you, God won't always give you the yes or the no before you go. Sometimes it's not until you take that step and you actually start trying to open the door that you find out whether it's a yes or... They tried to go and they got the no. And I've learned in my life to embrace the no. I've learned that sometimes it's not until I'll go that I'll get the no. I've learned sometimes that if my steps are going to be ordered by God, then my stops must be ordered by him too. Sometimes he'll hit you with a no. So they couldn't go to Bithynia. They couldn't go to the province of Asia. What do you do when you've gotten no and you don't know where to go? You pause and you wait to hear. See, God is not playing games with you. He wants you to know his will more than you want to know his will. But some of us have sensory overload. You got too many things going on. No wonder you can't hear God. You always scrolling. You always on Netflix. You always talking to other people about it. But if you could ever quiet your soul to hear, he will speak. All of a sudden, Paul, he gets a vision at night of a man in Macedonia that says, come here and help us. He gets a vision, don't miss this, of a man in Macedonia that says, come here and help us. Can you imagine that next morning, the clarity he got? He's like, y'all, let's sell out. I got the clarity. I saw a man in Macedonia saying, come help us. We're going to Macedonia. Don't you love it when God speaks and you got the clear vision? He said, we got to go. There is a man in Macedonia that needs the gospel. They sail to Macedonia, pull up on the shore. Don't forget it was a man he saw in his vision saying, come help us. After getting the vision of the man, they walked straight into a women's Bible study. <laughs> they, there were a group of women by the riverside having a prayer meeting. He was thinking he was going to go to the synagogue, but there was no synagogue because you had to have at least 10 Jewish men in the city to have a synagogue. So the fact that these women are gathered by the riverside is letting you know there aren't even 10 dudes in the city. And here he got a vision of a man saying, come help me, and walked straight into a women's Bible study. Ooh, I'm going to bring it right home to you. What do you do when your reality looks contradictory to the vision that God gave you? Have you ever been there before? When God gave you a vision, you were sure about it. God said, move to Charlotte. And you said, all right, you move. And you walked into a situation. And all of a sudden, the reality looks completely contradictory to the vision that you got. What do you do? He got a vision of a man and saw a women's Bible study. I'll tell you what you do when your reality is contradictory to your vision. Here's what you do. You stick to the mission. Stick to the mission whenever your reality is contradictory to your vision. Paul had been given a mission and a mandate to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul had to learn by the riverside that I can still preach this gospel at a women's Bible study. I don't have to be in the synagogue. I got to stay on my mission. Whenever your situation seems contradictory to your vision, stick to your mission. And there he is preaching at a women's Bible study. And I'm glad he got to preach because there was a businesswoman named Lydia who, who was a baller and a shot caller. Sister girl owned a Zara that all they sold was purple cloth. She 
She was a wealthy businesswoman that knew about God but hadn't had an encounter with this God. And all of a sudden, not only did she get saved, her whole household got saved because if God can just find somebody who is available and will stick to the mission, you have no clue the ramifications of what would happen. Lydia gets saved. Her whole household gets saved. And Lydia begs Paul to come stay at her house. Can you see Paul and Silas and their whole crew walking into Lydia's six-bedroom house? Marble everywhere. Paul's like, ooh, ooh, it's a good thing to preach this gospel. Oh, can you see him? You know Lydia had a good house. I can see him sleeping on that beautiful down feather pillow going, oh, thank you, Lord, for Lydia. I was just being obedient. This ain't a motel right here. This is, this is nice. Slept real good. Woke up the next day. Started staying on mission again. Preaching the gospel. He goes to preach, probably by the riverside. Except this day, right before he gets up to preach, probably behind him, he hears this voice. These men are servants of the Most High God. As his sermon is about to start, he's like... Praise God. <laughs> Goes the next day to preach. Again, same woman, same voice. These men are servants of the Most High God. All right now, just trying to preach the word. Appreciate you. Day three, getting ready to preach. These men are servants of the Most High God. All right, sister girl, thank you. Can you post it on my Instagram page? I'm trying to preach. Day four. These men are servants of the Most High God. Day after, every time he got ready to preach, this girl is shouting out, these men are servants of the Most High God. Day 23, she's still going, these men, Silas, if you don't take her out, I'm about to take her out. These men are every day. I don't know how long it happened, but I know it happened for a long time. A long time. Give us some scripture for it. Look at it. Acts chapter 16, verse 18. It says, look at this. It says, and this she did for many days. <laughs> I don't know how long many days is, but it was a long time. And finally, Paul got so annoyed that he turned around and he looked at her. Hold on, before I say what he said, I find it intriguing that this woman is possessed by a demon, but she's saying something that was right. This is why you need the Holy Spirit, not just for empowerment, for discernment. <laughs> Because most of us would have listened to what she said. And yeah, we would have been over and said, well, at least she's saying the right thing. At least she's saying the right thing. But Paul understood discernment and the Holy Spirit began to speak to him as he was out there ministering the gospel. But she was saying the right thing. And that's actually how the enemy works. In fact, when the Bible says she has a spirit of divination, it was actually the spirit of the python. And that's what the enemy does. He loves to deceive you and he will wrap a truth with a lie. Uh, he'll wrap a truth with deception. But I'm thankful for Paul, who was full of the Holy Spirit, who was able to look past the deception and say, you're saying the right thing, but it's coming from the wrong spirit. So he spoke to the spirit because we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities. So finally, he got so annoyed and turned around and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out. Oh, I came to tell somebody, you better start speaking to the spirit. He didn't speak to the woman. He spoke to the spirit. I'm thankful for sermons. I'm thankful for counseling. But every once in a while, you better get some authority and some discernment and speak to that spirit. Speak to the spirit of depression. Speak to the spirit of anxiety. Speak to that spirit and say, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out. 
let you know he still has power to deliver people today. Hallelujah. Did him speak to the girl? He spoke to the spirit. And in an instant, this girl was delivered and set free. But you got to be careful sometimes when you're doing what God has called you to do. You got to be careful of the ramifications of it because this girl had owners that were using her gift for their financial gain. They didn't care about her. They only cared about what she could do for them, how her gift benefited them. Isn't that what the enemy does? He didn't care about you, but he wants to use you. Not just the enemy, some of you are connected to people who you think care about you, but they don't. They care about what you offer them. They care about the benefit that you are to them, and they actually don't want you free. They want you to stay codependent and connected to them. Sets this girl completely free, but the ramifications of it, it tore the city up. They took Paul and Silas, and they beat them. A crowd gathered around them and stripped their clothes and beat them and kicked them and punched them. Understand that even the Jewish law had a restriction on how many times you could whip and beat somebody. You had to stop at 39. 40 was the limit, but they said stop at 39 because you could get caught up as you're mad and rage and lose your count. But they are in a different province. The Romans didn't have that rule. They kept beating and kicking and punching them. They took them from the beating into an inner prison. There was three levels to the prison. It wasn't the outer part or the middle part. It was the inner part of the prison. It was a dungeon where they're bleeding, flesh lacerated, perhaps coughing up blood, bruised. In the inner part of the prison, a dungeon where it is dark. Everybody shouts about at midnight. They didn't know what time it was. This is Luke writing this. When you're in a dark place, you don't know whether it's sunlight or whether it's midnight. And there they are, bleeding and bruised. And the thing I kept asking myself is what got them in the inner prison? It was not their disobedience. It was their obedience. Their obedience got them beat. Their obedience got them punched and kicked. Their obedience got them in the inner part of the prison. What do you do when your calling has become a crime? What do you do when you obeyed God and you still ended up in a dark place? 
Most of us, if we're honest, we cry out to God when our disobedience got us in a dark place. Isn't that something when you just, you know it was your bad decisions and your disobedience got you in that place? You're like, God, I know I messed up. It was me. It was me. I'm reaping the consequences of what I did. Most of us cry out to God then, but what do you do when your obedience got you in a dark place and you're bleeding and you're bruised? That's annoying. It's annoying to be in a dark place. And it was your obedience that got you there. I wish I could tell you that every time you obeyed God, you'd be in beautiful, bright places. But this text is proof positive that you can do the right thing and still end up in the wrong place. You can be fully obedient and still have pain in your body and be in a dark place. And maybe you're in this room or watching online and your obedience has gotten you in a dark place and God told me to tell you that he can still show up in a dark place. And just because it's a dark place doesn't mean that God can't do a miracle. Just because you're in a dark place doesn't mean God is done with you yet. They were bleeding. They were broken because their obedience got them there. What do you do when you're in that place I tell you what you do what will come out of you is what has always been on the inside of you no wonder Paul and Silas decided to lift up their voice and worship and praise God they weren't doing it at midnight they didn't know what time it was but when your disobedience and your obedience has got you in a dark place and you know God is the one that got you in it if you want to make the enemy mad start crying out to the very same God God that got you in the situation. Oh, this is why the enemy wants you to keep your mouth shut. The enemy wants you to be mad and be offended and be hurt and stop talking to God. But I came to tell you, don't stop talking to him, even if your obedience to him got you in that place. Oh, that's where the enemy messed up. See, the enemy shackled their feet. The enemy shackled their arms, but he should have shackled their mouth. Because whenever you open up your mouth and cry out to God, he has to come in the situation. Oh, I need somebody to exercise this right now and just begin to open up your mouth and give God some praise, even in the dark place, even in the place where you can't see and your obedience got you there. We preach this all the time. The magic wasn't at midnight. They were in a dungeon. They couldn't see what the time was. They weren't even praising God so he could send the earthquake. Come on, think about this. It's not like we have any scriptural evidence that people that praise got an earthquake. It's not like they were singing going, okay, if we just sing long enough, he's gonna come on the third stanza of the hymn. They didn't know. They weren't praising for deliverance. They were praising out of devotion. They were doing what they had always done. They were doing what was always in them. They said, God, I know obeying you got us here, and this don't look nothing like Lydia's house. It's looking a lot like a little motel, but you are still worthy of the praise in spite of how I feel. I know my obedience got me here, but I gotta look at this circumstance through the lens of my purpose. And as they praise God, an earthquake came and the foundations of the prison were shaken and everybody's chains got loose. 
Oh, y'all don't like that right there. I'm trying to tell you. You think your praise on a Sunday is just for you? What would you do if I told you that your praise had the power to set somebody else free? That your praise had the power to reach your child who's not even in service? That your praise had the power to affect generations if you can praise them in a dark You know the story. I'm done. The doors are open. The chains are loosed. Anybody in their right mind, after you've praised, when it was your obedience to God that got you in the situation, and he finally shows up and the doors are open, anybody in their right mind that said, this is my time to go. You did it, Lord. You're a way maker, promise keeper, miracle worker. The doors are open. I'm going to run. But they stayed. They stayed. What would make Paul and Silas stay in a prison when the doors have been opened and they could run free? They saw the jailer pull a sword and get ready to kill himself. And Paul says, hold on. Don't do it. All of us are here. Don't do it. Don't kill yourself. Stop. Because this jailer knew that the consequence of letting all them prisoners free would have been his own murder. So he said, I'd rather just do it myself. But Paul, in the middle of the night, says, hold on, hold on. Don't do it. Why did Paul and Silas refuse to leave? I don't know why they stayed, but I do know that up until this point in the text, all he had run into were women Remember the vision that he got was not of a woman in Macedonia. It was of a man in Macedonia. And as soon as he got there, he saw Lydia and he opened up his mouth and Lydia's household got saved. Then he kept on preaching and stayed on mission. And all of a sudden the slave girl got set free and she got saved. But he still hadn't ran into a man until after he praised in a dark place and prison doors were open. And maybe the reason he couldn't leave is because that jailer looked a lot like the man that he saw in his vision and said, you're the reason why I'm here. Don't you kill yourself. We are still here. That jailer put down his sword and said the most powerful words perhaps written in the New Testament. He says, sir, would you tell me what must I do to be saved? He got saved, his whole family got saved because Paul understood, oh, I might be annoyed. Can I give you the rest of my title? I'm annoyed, but I'm assigned. I'm annoyed, but I'm assigned. I was called to you. You know what I saw in my vision? had to be in this prison. His whole household got saved. This jailer, Lydia, and this slave girl would be the first members of a church at Philippi that Paul would write a letter to later. 
and say, I thank God every time I think of you. And Paul would write out of the joy remembering them because he's looking back going, ooh, yeah, I was annoyed. I didn't like it when doors kept shutting. And I like it when she kept getting on my nerves, saying the right thing, but from the wrong spirit. I didn't like getting beaten and whipped when I was just being obedient. I was annoyed, but I'm assigned. And when you understand your assignment, You can stay in a motel or a prison for one night. <laughs> because it is the assignment that puts the annoyance in perspective. I don't know what's annoying you right now. But can I tell you, you're assigned. You're assigned to that family. You're assigned to that job. Don't you let that annoyance make you walk away from your assignment. You're annoyed, but you're assigned. Would you bow your heads? I want to pray for you, Father. I pray for my brother. I pray for my sister. God, I'm not denying the annoyance. I'm not denying the pain. God, we're not denying being in a dark place. Lord, I thank you that you're able to use all of the pain and the annoyances for your divine purpose. Though the vision waits, though the vision tarries, God, we'll wait for it to come to pass. So Lord, I pray strength over my brother, over my sister to look at every annoyance through the lens of their divine assignment, knowing that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God, give us strength and give us grace for the divine assignment that you placed on all of our lives. In Jesus' mighty, matchless name, we pray. Amen, 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 amen. God bless you, Elevation. Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit elevationchurch.org slash podcast for more information. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, you can click the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories and tag us at Elevation Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.